Hello there, fellow warrior, and welcome to another episode. I wanted to talk to you today about stigma and actually give you six steps to removing stigma. You know, it's so funny that until my daughter Jamie became addicted to drugs, I had never even really thought about stigma, to be truthful with you. That word probably never even crossed my mind more than twice. Um, it just wasn't part of my life. I, but But yet... But yet, when I think back, I did have some kind of stigma in my life. And I think it started out from being a poor kid. And so I didn't really have a word to put to it when I was a little girl. But if I think about it, I did feel kind of some stigma. And I don't know if it came from other people or if it was self-imposed. Certainly self-imposed initially because, you know, I was the poor kid. And and you know, when you're growing up as a poor kid and you don't get out much, you don't really realize how poor you are because everybody else in the neighborhood's poor too. But even in my neighborhood, there were people that were doing better than we were and, you know, two parent families and all of that. But certainly as time went on and I wound up moving to an area where I went to school, it was junior high where I moved here. And I went to school with people who had parents that were very wealthy. And I kind of lived on the outskirts, you know, like the other side of the tracks. And just in that district, um, there were people with a lot of money. There were also people like me, obviously. But it just turned out that because that area had such a big area of houses that overlooked the water and all of this, a lot of my friends came from those types of homes. And I think that's when it really hit me. Wow, I'm the poor kid. And in fact, I had this friend in junior high school. I went to her house and it was this area. I'm from the Seattle area. And there was this neighborhood called the Highlands. It was behind gates. You didn't even really know it was there until, unless you had a reason to know it was there. There was, it was really tucked back behind trees and everything. It wasn't real noticeable. But I, I went to her house one time and talk about a shocker for a poor kid. She had an elevator in her house. There was a big tree going up the middle of the house. This is how big it was. It was, it was kind of like being in a hotel with this big tree going up. They had servants and all this stuff. It was a completely different world. And, you know, I was a fairly confident person, so I, it didn't really affect me that much. But there were times, no question about it. I had a friend that, you know, made a comment one time and it didn't sit right with me. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it definitely had to do with the fact that I didn't have and she did. And yeah, no, she wasn't my friend very long. But but the, so there was a stigma to that, a stigma to being, you know, from a single parent family. When I was growing up, if I think about it, in my younger years, I didn't have a single friend that was from a single parent family. They all had two parents. In fact, I used to to look at their families and long for that kind of a family. So there was stigma about being from a divorced family. And and there was just a lot of chaos in my childhood. And, you know, a lot of it stemmed from my mom's choice to hook up with the guy that she did, who was my biological father. And there was a lot of drama and stuff in his family and with him and and just, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And so I think there was some stigma involved in that, you know, kind of, feeling like we weren't as classy as some people, I guess. But really, the stigma that hit me, I mean, the stigma that I finally understood that word, unfortunately, and was living in the, living it, 
was when my daughter Jamie got into addiction. And uh, you've probably heard me say this before if you've listened to me for any length of time, that initially I had no idea that addiction was the issue. I just thought she was being stupid, which was really weird because she's the smartest person I'd ever known. And um, I did stupid stuff when I was a teenager and, and even younger. I mean, I smoked pot. I drank. I did other drugs. Um, you know, I wasn't some druggie, but but I mean, I don't know. I smoked a lot of pot in those days and and did other things and drank and partied and had a good time. But I also graduated with honors from high school. I also had a job. You know, I was one of those people that could kind of do all that stuff. And so I didn't understand. I had no idea that you couldn't just party and be responsible. I mean, I'm thankfully I got lucky. I don't have any kind of an addictive gene, obviously, but, um, you know, a lot of people didn't get lucky. And I used to judge those people. When I go back for reunions or hear about people, I'd think, really, what are they doing? They're still doing all that stuff. Give me a break. Thought you thought you're supposed to grow up. I didn't understand it. So here I was with this girl who I used to think would be the first woman president because she was brilliant. I mean, when Jamie was less than two years old, I mean, I want to say like one and a half, you'd have a full on conversation about concepts with her. You know, this wasn't a normal toddler conversation. She was, she got stuff. Everything came easy to her. It used to frustrate the heck out of Sean, her younger brother, because she didn't really have to do too much homework and she'd get good grades. She didn't really have to try that hard in sports and she was good at it. it seemed like she was good at everything. She could sing and draw and paint and yet she was super quick and logical and, you know, had all this stuff going for her. So initially, when this whole addiction thing entered our, our world, I just thought, what are you doing hanging out with these people? You know, you come from a good home. Yes, you know, she came from a broken home too, which of course that caused me to have a lot of guilt and wonder if, you know, I caused all this and that probably didn't help with the stigma that I felt. But anyway, as Jamie continued further down on this road, and I had an inkling, of course, but she would never admit it for, for years, um, I just felt like a bad parent. How, where did I go wrong? What decision did I make? And, you know, now I'm one of those people, you know, those people that I used to judge. I'm one of them. I'm, I'm that parent. They couldn't even parent her child properly so that she started making these terrible decisions and, and hanging out with bad people, you know, falling in love with some guy that ends up shooting her when she's 18. She's got this near fatal abdominal gunshot wound and we're sitting in this emergency hospital going WTF is going on in our lives. You know, so I, I get, I get stigma a little bit now, you know, I mean, the first time I heard the word heroin, whoa, 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 whoa. I almost fell out of my chair. They were using the word heroin and Jamie in the same sentence. And that did not compute. So here I was living in this world of stigma. And so I just want to share with you six steps that I think you could take, you know, all or none of these or some of them. Well, not none of them. Why would you even be listening to this if you're going to take none of them? But if you could use some of these or all of them, really, especially all of them, because they definitely help me. And I know that these are some of the things that are really helping other people to remove stigma because stigma keeps us trapped, right? It helps, it helps to keep us feeling different from everybody else. Can you see my finger quotes? Everybody else. Right? We feel so different. We're, we're those people that other people are judging. We're those ones that people are making jokes about. We're those people that nobody really wants to be around because we're, we've screwed up somehow. And certainly, if you've got a child in addiction, they have stigma for sure. But this could apply, by the way. This doesn't have to have to do with anything to, anything to do with addiction, but 
that's just where I'm coming from. I'm telling you my story, but I think you can apply this to a lot of different things, right? I told you about being a poor kid, being from a broken home. And then, of course, I was divorced. You know, I was divorced when my children were one and three. And I feel like I really did provide them a good, stable, happy home. But, yep, I was that one. You know, I'd go to the Montessori school and I actually wound up finding a friend who's still my friend today when Jamie was seven and Julie and I were both single moms. Maybe that's why we connected because most of the other parents or all of them that I knew about uh, were, you know, or kids were from dual parent homes. And so, you know, I had that stigma. You know, I was the idiot that married the wrong person and and got a divorce. So, you know, I, I was the girl who's my first husband cheated on me. I mean, I had that stigma. Like what? Wow. Why would he do that? So anyway, my point is that you can apply this to anything, but I think, okay, so let me just give you six of the things that I think can really help. The first thing is to decide. I mean, really everything starts with a decision. So the first thing is decide, decide that you don't want to live like this anymore. Decide that you don't want to feel bad about that anymore. Decide you don't want stigma. I mean, who gets to decide really? I mean, seriously, society, someone, you know, someone in your family, they get to decide how you feel. They get to decide what you pile on yourself, what you allow in. No, you get to decide. So that's really the first thing is to make that all important decision. I call it a pivotal decision. It's the decision that can change the trajectory of your life in a moment. Yeah. Do you have to do some stuff to get there and stay there? Yeah, of course. But the decision is a moment. So I encourage you to do that right away. The second thing I would require, I require this of you, (laughs) I would suggest is what I meant to say. Isn't that funny? Freudian slip. Maybe I meant that I'm requiring it. The second thing I suggest is that you step out of victimhood and hear me on this. Boy, are we living in the most victim-minded mentality we've ever seen in history, at least for me, in my nearly six decades on this planet, I have never seen anything like it. Wow, everybody's jumping on board. I shouldn't say everybody, should I? Because I'm not. Hopefully you're not. A lot of people are jumping on board the victim train. Let me tell you where the victim train heads you. It heads you to victim land. And you could probably find a podcast. I'm sure I've done a podcast on victim land. Maybe even two on victim land. But, you know, I have this whole, um, I I tell this whole imaginary story, you know, about what victim land looks like. And it's not a pretty sight. When you first get there, it seems kind of nice. But it's just not. You know, it's a very depressing place. There's no power in victim land. What you have to understand is a lot of people don't get it. They don't get what you're going through because they haven't been through it. It's not that they don't even want to. They can't. And thank God for them. Whatever it is you're going through, do you want other people really to go through that too? There are plenty of people out there that have though. So you can link up with the right people. With the right people. Okay. I mean, make sure it's with the right people. People who are also stepping out of victimhood. People who are also wanting to stand up and be strong and learn how to live courageously and and, and, um, get rid of this stigma. You do not need to hang out with other victims. People who consider themselves victims. Here's the thing. Whatever's happened to you was probably not your fault. But remaining a victim is your choice. So this is another decision, isn't it? You step out of victimhood. You don't need pity. You need understanding. But even that's going to take a bit. Some people aren't going to understand. But the more strength you gain, the more confidence you have in your life, the more understanding and open you are, the more understanding people will be. So decide. You're done with stigma. Step out of victimhood. 
No power in victim land. And don't, the third thing is don't make life all about this. Whatever your this is, don't make life all about that. So while I feel like we should be more open, I'm open about what's happened in my life. And, and by the way, you got to understand this is coming from a person who was very emotionally private. I mean, I was the one who everyone thought had it all together because I was not telling anybody my stuff. I didn't cry in front of people. I rarely cried at all. You know, I was just like brick wall, you know. And um, so I'm not saying not to be open, but there's a difference between explaining and sharing and dumping your stuff on other people. Because that moves back into victimhood. So I have this friend, Anel, who I met through this journey. She's also the mom of an addict. But like she and I like to say all the time, we are so much more than that. I'm going to talk about that later in this podcast episode. But Anel tells a really great story about, she said that, you know, while I was private about everything and didn't let people know, and I was, you know, like smiling on the outside and dying on the inside, Anel said that she would talk about addiction. She had to, she had a need to know, right? So she would find everything she could about the subject and talk to everyone about it. Well, do you know how comfortable that must have been for 99% of the people in her world that had nothing to do with addiction? I mean, that would have creeped me out. I'm, I'm just telling you. I think it would have kind of creeped me out if somebody was talking about addiction because, because I would have pictured, you know, some movie where someone's in an abandoned building with needles sticking out of their arms. And you know what? That, that is part of, of, of the real world for a lot of people in addiction. But I mean, you know, the opium dens in movies, you know, just it just wasn't something that I had a good picture about. It was something that made me uncomfortable. I had no experience with it. I didn't get it. Even though I did all that partying I told you about, it was not like that. You know, I didn't. It wasn't that. And so I think that we have to make sure that we can be open about things, make it okay for people to talk about it, but not make it all about that. For instance, on Jamie's, the fifth anniversary of Jamie's getting her angel wings, we had a party at my son's house and a lot of people came that did not know Jamie, family and friends that had never met her. So my in-laws and some extended family that just had never met her and, um, or didn't know her, you know, since she was a baby or a little toddler or something, or didn't know her well. But many of them didn't, had never met her. They'd only heard stories. And they came to this party, which I thought was super cool. I think that really says something about where we've come as a family. I mean, I'm going to say I, I'm kind of proud of my family that we've come to that place where people would be willing to come because they knew that while it was being supportive, it wasn't going to be this big, sad, you know, thing. And, you know, there were some tears here and there. So we make it okay for people to talk about it, but we don't make it all about that. That party, of course, was about that. But I got to tell you what. If you'd have been at that party, you'd have said, wow, it really wasn't all about that. We made her favorite food. We had pictures. We had some mementos there. We told a few stories, but people were out in the pool and, and swimming and, and, you know, we, we had a good time just having a party. It wasn't all about that. Even that party that was about Jamie was not all about that. And as a matter of fact, I had just gotten a ring that, um, it's a really cool ring that, um, it's got part of it has blown glass in it where James, some of Jamie's ashes are in it. And they, I don't know if you know what ashes are like, but they're not, that's a bad word. It's more like heavy sand. And so they're able to put it into this, um, this glass part of the ring. So you could, you know, if you really looked close, you could see these bits of Jamie and I really loved it. And I was so happy and excited about it, but I got it a couple days before this party 
And, um, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not right. I got it a couple days before my daughter-in-law's birthday. Hello. And, um, but I didn't want to show, I wanted to show it to Sean, but I would, didn't do it at her birthday. I would not show him on that day because I didn't want Nikki's birthday to be about that. Right? So you get what I'm saying? It's okay to be open and out there, but just don't make your whole life all about this. The fourth step is you've got to get courageous because fear holds us back. Fear also also turns us angry and resentful. When you get courageous, you give up guilt and shame and they're so tied to you allowing this stigma to control your life. Life gets better when we get better. That's what I found out. When I had the courage to stand up and fight, to share my story, to say, I'm going to get past this. I am going to move through it. I'm going to, and I did this, by the way, before Jamie died. I did this a couple of years before uh, she died. And so when I talk about 15 years of Jamie and her addiction, then you hear me say 13 years on the roller coaster from hell. It's because 13 years in, I got off the roller coaster. Now, I still had a couple years of, you know, really tough times with Jamie before she died. And then, of course, what we're going through now. But the point is that life didn't get better, right? Right? Think about it. Those 13 years were hell. I spent two getting off. And and that was tough. I'm telling you, I battled my way through it. And then she died. So you could argue that life got worse for me, right? A lot worse. But I got better. So it didn't impact me the way it would have. And, you know, we don't know what's going or, uh, what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what's up ahead in the road. Courage is so important. It's why you hear me talk about it all the time. It's critical that you start building up some courage. Hang out with me. I'll help you with that. The fifth thing is to remember that everybody has a story. And I think this can really help with stigma because, like I said earlier, we feel so different from other people. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We just feel so different. Like everyone else. Here's my finger quotes again. Everybody else is living over here and we're over here. If you're really going through it and you have stigma, you know what I'm talking about. That was not a great explanation, but I don't need to explain it to you. Everyone's going through something. More than you know. I mean, you have no idea. When I have told people my story, I've met people literally who said, do you have any kids? For a while, I would say, yeah, I have one because I just didn't want to deal with with Jamie's addiction. And then when I started to talk about it, this was back, you know, when Jamie was still alive. And I would say, yeah, I've got my son. I'd say whatever. And, and he was struggling during this period, too. So I really felt like a bad mom. But so then I would say, I said, well, Jamie, well, she's she's addicted to drugs. She's a heroin addict. You know, I would say something really kind of stark like that. And people would be kind of taken aback at first. But I made it OK. You know, I didn't cry. And it was just like that was they asked. And that was it. I can't tell you how many times somebody's told me a story. I guarantee they never would have told had I not been willing to share. Don't feel like the Lone Ranger. Everybody has a story. And this courage really helps us. Not being a victim helps. The sixth step that I want to give you is to believe that you are more than whatever it is. More than the mom of an addict more than someone living with an addiction beast, more than someone who's been divorced, more than the person who had a failed business, more than someone with a wayward child, more than that cheating husband, that situation that that really broke your heart. You're more than all of that. 
if you've read my book, Still Standing After All the Tears, which is my first book, in there, I told, I uh, actually published a letter in there that my sister-in-law, she's actually my ex-sister-in-law now, unfortunately, um, but I still, I mean, I, I love her to death and how wonderful, what a gift she gave me when she wrote me that letter. And it was, um, she just kind of keyed in on how I was feeling at this family reunion golf tournament we have every year. And uh, she just slipped me a note one morning right before golf. She slipped me this letter she had written, this handwritten letter. And it was just reminding me that things don't always go the way we want them to. That sometimes these, you know, the, the, like Jamie's the, you know, I have the bow and she's one of my arrows. And sometimes our arrows, they land in places they're not supposed to land. And, you know, life doesn't always make sense essentially. And, but I'm more than that. I'm more than that. And she reminded me of all the things that I was. And I want to remind you of that too. You're more. You're more than whatever stigma has sucked you in and held you down. You're more than that beast that's on top of you whispering lies in your ears. You are more than whatever decisions you've made. You're more than whatever trauma has entered your life and really affected you in a negative way. You're more than whatever's happened to you that caused you to step into this victim mode. You're more. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a purpose more than just that. And you might feel exhausted today, but if you begin to take these six steps to, and get some of that stigma off of you, you're going to feel lighter and more energized because that is weighing heavy on your life. I would love to know more about your story. Anything I can do to, to link arms with you, guide you, give you any kind of perspective or insight or wisdom that can help you. And while I still do have, obviously I've got this podcast and I've got other social media channels, uh, but I started a private, a private group. It's called Trauma Disruptors. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot to this whole Trauma Disruptors. Um, but you can find it at TraumaDisruptors.com or on my website at ValerieSilvera.com. But you can join and um, they're inside of there. There's a community, a private community where you can really connect with other people and, and feel comfortable and confident. We don't have, it's not connected to social media at all. It's private. It's on my membership website. And I invite you, I invite you to come on in. We're just getting started, but I want you to have a place that you can go to feel comfortable, to get some of your questions answered, to find some resources and hopefully even connect with some people so you don't feel so alone and that can help you remove the stigma. And by the way, when you get courageous you're going to be able to give back. And boy, is that powerful. You start giving back and sharing your wisdom. It makes you more courageous, more confident. It's incredible. I hope to see you there. ValerieSilvera.com or TraumaDisruptors.com. Either way, you can find your way there. And just know you are not whatever stigma you've allowed to be attached to your life. Your story matters. So live it courageously.